Welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. Of course, I am your host, Todd Rosales, and this is the last show you will see for the week, but thank you for tuning in. I hope everybody enjoyed our episode yesterday with Jessica Billingsley. I know I went deep into the weeds with technology and the technology industry, but I do have a tech background. I am a little bit of a nerd, so I wanted to explore that, but hopefully you all enjoyed just understanding Jessica's journey as an entrepreneur, you know, going from a small startup to a large publicly traded company and now a company that's in acquisition mode that takes a lot of executive growth, if you will. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm going to get too into the weeds there, but for those of you who enjoyed it, great. Next week, we've got some great episodes for you coming up. My good friend, Charles Warner is going to be on the show. He's going to be talking to us about the upcoming Emerge conference, which is going to be on the 15th and 16th. So week after next, um, yours truly is going to be hosting a panel on edibles and a panel on cannabis beverages. You know, those are two of my favorite topics. So I'm very excited to be bringing you that. Afterwards, uh, that will be on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. On Wednesday, we have Jeremy Gutveg. And on Thursday, we have Tom Gerbenstein. So tune in for those as always, facebook.com slash group. If you want to check out our recorded episodes, our entire library of almost 100 episodes is there. That is at youtube.com slash elevate your grind. And of course, if you want to see any of the amazing panels that Cannabis Lab is putting together, a lot of those are going to be on the joincelab.com website. So other news, um, folks, my guest today, I'm really excited about because she is not a big name in the cannabis industry yet. But honestly, judging by what she does and, and her ideas, I think that when we have the next waves of entrepreneurs, this is going to be a name that you're going to start hearing, right? So we had Jessica Billingsley yesterday, and this is somebody that I found. Um, I get into a little personal story here. So this summer, my birthday is in July. We're going to go out to California and check out some of the comedy clubs out there. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. I'm a huge stand-up comedy fan. I wanted to go to the store, the improv, Laugh Factory, mostly the comedy store. And unfortunately, it may not be never, it may never be back to where it was, but I still want to take that trip. As part of that trip, I was very excited to go check out the original Cannabis Cafe, which was the Lowell Cannabis Cafe. And just so happens that my guest today used to work there. Um, and now she is taking the idea and she has her own, we'll call it a restaurant group that is focused on consumption lounges and cannabis events and so many great things. And I'm really excited because. The things that she's doing to me shows growth in the cannabis industry. Yes, we're at a point right now, whether you're in a medical or recreational state, where you can go ahead, you can walk into a store and purchase cannabis just like any other product, right? It's very easy. But when do we get to the point, and, and I think San Francisco just went through this, where they were talking about banning cannabis smoke in your own apartment. Luckily, they only banned cigarette smoke and cannabis smoke is fine, but there aren't too many rules on public consumption or consumption lounges, and that's definitely not something that's been widespread yet. So my guest today is helping people do that, if you will, and we're going to find out more. So please welcome somebody that I believe will be a big name in, in the next few years, Sarah Stewart, the founder and CEO of the Hospitality Group. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a great introduction. I feel very honored you to know, be here. I mean everything that I said, right? Because it, the first part about legalizing cannabis or normalizing cannabis was being able to buy it and not buying it, you know, jumping in and out of someone's car, going to someone's house or having someone pull up to your house with a backpack. We're buying it in stores with bud tenders and people are educating it. 
but cannabis still really hasn't found its way into mainstream socialization, right? Even if you go to a party at this point, if you're a cannabis smoker, usually you find the other cannabis smokers, you find an area away from everybody and you stand in the circle, right? You're not in the party with everybody. You kind of have your own subculture party yet. So what you're doing to me is the next level here. So give us a little bit, just to kind of establish yourself here, give us a little bit of your background, where you came from and what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, I actually am originally from Ohio. Uh, I've been in LA for about seven years now. And the majority of my uh, background is in hospitality. I have worked in hospitality for about 15 years now. And uh, I come from you know, small mom and pop places in Ohio to some of the most successful restaurants in the country that I was able to work at in Los Angeles. And uh, from there, I was actually introduced to this new industry. I'm sorry, manager. I always, that's kind of what led me into my position as um, assistant general manager at the Cannabis Cafe. Uh, Like you said, a lot of the conversation right now is around where do we go to purchase? And I truly believe that the conversation is slowly shifting to where do we go to consume? So being in that environment for the first time showed me a lot about consumer behavior, what people are looking for, how to manage protocols and procedures and develop SOPs that really, like you said, allow this industry to grow and become more mainstream. And so uh, a few people from the cafe and I have kind of partnered together to create that uh, restaurant group, I guess, as you could say, of the cannabis industry that's working with license holders all over the U.S. to really just help bring consumption lounges to market in a very mainstream way. Very cool. That, that, so that to me is definitely the next step of the cannabis industry and where it needs to go. So you worked at, you know, the Lowell or the OG cannabis cafe, whatever you, you want us to, to call it, you know, if you're able to talk and, and good, bad, or indifferent, you, one of the things that we mentioned when you and I spoke is they did, they were the first ones to do it, but because of that, they were also the first ones to make mistakes. You know, yes. can you tell us some of the lessons that you learned working at the, the, what were the good, the bad, and the indifferent working at the, the cafe? Because I'm sure there were plenty of great things, and I'm sure there were plenty of bad things. And, you know, the, unfortunately, the bad things hit the news. But I, I, I imagine there are plenty of good things that we didn't see either that led you to go on to your next career. Absolutely. I would start by, I guess, saying the good things were I saw a lot of families coming in, grandmas, you know, uh, younger 21-year-olds that were super excited. And they were all coming together to see this for the very first time and consume in public for the very first time. I also saw a lot of parent teacher conferences and just anyone and everyone that you wouldn't really imagine. But even a little bit more personal than that, I saw people sharing joints with the table across from them, which post COVID is probably not going to happen ever again, (laughs) but even sharing food and the level of communication and inclusion that that space really brought open my eyes to what this industry can become and how we can kind of approach the can of curious and the non-consumers in a way that allows products for them, as well as those seasoned, you know, cannabis users that um, we anticipated to show up anyways. But um, even some of the bad things, you know, um, 
five to seven people passing out a week from cannabis consumption. That is not something I anticipated and slowly realized that, you know, instead of being reactive with our questions and the way that we dealt with guests, that we need to be even more proactive than we imagined in terms of asking the right questions. Do you live in Michigan or where do you live? If you live in Michigan, you're not probably used to smoking California weed. So are you on any medication? You know, um, a lot of simple questions that might not seem like such a big deal, but in reality, they make all of the difference in terms of controlling the environment. And so when I am working with license holders and they're asking, you know, what's the city gonna think about this? Or how do we portray this to the city? It's really about showcasing that you can control the environment. You have the protocols and procedures and security teams necessary to make this happen. Um, and then, you know, I think that the most interesting thing to me is that this new industry is going to require a new set of skills. And so I, I love pulling really solid, gracious people from the hospitality industry and then those cannabis, you know, uh, really, really bright cannabis people that come from maybe the medicinal market, who's creating brand new position that requires food and beverage knowledge, but also requires cannabis education and kind of like pulling from these two worlds to build this like super server, I guess you could call it, that really controls that environment and knows everything that they need to know about food and coffee and beverage programs, but also cannabis compliance and strains and effects and just marrying that, those two together. That's really cool. And I love the, I love how originally the cannabis industry itself took people who were passionate about cannabis and what I would call closeted professionals because when I say that there are a lot of people in the professional world that were cannabis consumers but for some reason or another had to hide their usage right and that's what the industry as a whole did but you're doing this again right picking from the hospitality industry and combining that with, with cannabis folks and I think that kind of signals the start of cannabis being commoditized and I mean that in a good way where you start seeing cannabis just trickling into other industries it's not it's funny I want to say two years ago, I was at a conference and I asked somebody, um, hey, do you think it's a cannabis industry because it's schedule one drug and essentially we're an industry because we have to be. But in reality, that five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to see cannabis at other industries, healthcare, hospitality, you know, industrial, all that other stuff. Funny enough, that guy went on to go write a book about it called The Cannabis Economy, but I'm going to take credit for that one. But, you know, it, it, you're, you're an exact example of that, right? And now it's gone beyond just the one cafe out in L.A. to everything that you're doing. So on that note, I am very unfamiliar on where you can even have consumption lounges. So where are some of the places that you're looking into and helping people? So West Hollywood is really unique. Um, they don't really require you to have a retail dispensary location in order to occupy a consumption lounge. In every other market in the U.S., that seems to be the trend, especially in Oakland and then also in the Michigan area, which uh, Michigan just last week approved 75 cannabis licenses and wow. within that over 30 consumption lounge permits that they're giving out. So you were beginning to see that a lot of these are just additions to their current licenses. So the or dispensary is the main one. Consumption is, on, is next. Uh, in terms of markets, though, 
West Hollywood is going to have about 13 to 15 that come to market. Palm Springs is rolling out a lot of different consumption styles right now. There are a few in Oakland. And then, as I said, Michigan is really kind of taking off and Detroit in particular embracing that. And I guess the hardest part of my job currently is figuring out each market and what the laws are and protocols around that because they're vastly different in every single state and even in different cities. And so really right now what I'm doing is communicating with mayors. A lot of them don't even know the zoning that's necessary or how to acquire a license or what that even looks like in their area. So a lot of what I do is kind of collect data from all of these markets and kind of put it together into um, trying to become like a uniform model for consumption lounges in the future to follow or licenses, uh, I'm sorry, or cities to just acquire so that it's not so scary, right? A lot of these cities right now have no idea what this could possibly look like. You know, how do you control that environment? And so really just kind of taking from West Hollywood, taking from Palm Springs, from Oakland, Michigan, New Jersey is going to be another one that's coming really, really quickly. And, um, you know, even Chicago and other parts of Illinois, I've been speaking to a few people who, you know, seem like it's a little bit more difficult to get going there, but that's half the fun for me is helping people figure out what this looks like and how to bring it to their area. That's really cool. So, I mean, I just look at the progression of, of you as a person. You go from the hospitality industry, which, which is not an easy industry by any stretch of the imagination, but the model's there. People have done it before. People have been successful. So you have people that you can look to, yeah. whether they're direct mentors or, or, you know, famous people have done it before. And now you go, I'm going to go from something that's scalable and repeatable that there's a model for and I'm going to go do something that there's absolutely no model for. And you're actually at a point now, like you said, that you are meeting with politicians and in reality, almost helping shape policy. I, I imagine, you know, I'm going to dig into the entrepreneur side of you now. We talked about Jessica Billingsley journey, and I'm, it sounds like you're starting a path on that journey as well, too. How do you get the courage and the determination to go from let's say a job, which is pretty much hospitality and, and you being a cannabis enthusiast, advocate, whatever you want to call it, knowing right. enough to, to do well at Lowell to saying, hey, there's something here. We can make this full time. We can make a company doing this and we're going to do it nationwide. You know, what, what thought just comes over you now that you have to go and not just figure out hospitality, but you have to figure out policy and compliance and, and regulations yeah. and all that other stuff. Just give me some insight into that moment. When I first left the cafe, I thought, what's next for me? Am I going back to a normal hospitality driven environment? I personally don't even really drink anymore. And so I didn't really feel excited about that at all. And hospitality is absolutely my passion, but I kind of had it in my head that I didn't have to go back to what I was familiar with and instead should take those efforts and move it towards more of the consumption cannabis model of hospitality. So, um, you know, I kind of started evaluating license holders in West Hollywood, getting a feel for what's out there and, you know, what is the next step for me. And when I really started to do some research, I started to realize that West Hollywood is not the only people that are paying attention to this right now. You know, Palm Springs is just as active. Oakland is just as active. Um, you know, other states are coming out and starting to ask these questions. And 
you know, at the beginning, I was a bit overwhelmed because I didn't know where to begin. But slowly but surely, I realized no one knows the answers to this industry and nobody has kind of set the standards for what's to come. And if I can take, you know, Tau and, and SBE and all these major corporations that I've worked for and taken their STEAM rigorous training programs and implemented them into the cannabis industry, not only is it going to help lounges, but it might possibly help retail dispensaries as well. I think we all can kind of agree that there is a lack of education in a lot of dispensaries around the U.S. Yeah. And so if you're implementing these, you know, training programs into lounges, then hopefully we can just incorporate them into dispensaries as well to kind of create a different approach to uh, to that sale. Or, you know, just like I keep saying, uh, gracious hospitality is like my favorite word, but you do notice a difference by going through, I don't know, a McDonald's drive through versus Chick-fil-A. <laughs> They're smiling, yeah. they're friendly, they're asking the right questions, you know, you feel it and you know the difference. And I really want to help create that, I guess, major difference in the cannabis industry. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, you saw the memes going around with, with you know, let the Chick-fil-A drive through people handle co uh, COVID testing. So obviously <laughs> yeah. you've got something there. But right. I, I, you know, on that note, like, I see what you're doing is going to bring more of the general public into the cannabis space, or at least to try cannabis, right? Because it's one thing for somebody who's unfamiliar with it to go into an uncomfortable environment and talk to a bud tender, especially out in California. And nothing against California yeah. bud tenders, but you guys have been in the culture forever. This is Definitely. your life. This is all you know. So sometimes you don't, sometimes others do, and I'm not stereotyping everybody, but you don't know what, what the average person who has never smoked wants, right? But I, I see if I were to go to a place like that and invite a few friends that have never tried it, I could see them being more open to trying something at a party or at a cannabis lounge and not having to go to a retailer and make that first purchase on your own and being completely unsure of it. Or even if I wanted someone else to try, I would have to go to the retailer, pick something up, bring it back here, have people over. It just seems like a much better way to attract the general public to the dark side or our side, if you will. Absolutely. Right? So on that note, I'm sure at the Lowell Cafe and what you're doing now, you kind of become a showcase for products for people to try, right? And you have Absolutely. to take that into consideration that many of the people that you, you're going to see have never tried it before. So how on that note, do you really look at all the amazing stuff out there and come up with a menu that appeals to the connoisseur all the way down to the first time user? Sure. You know, for me, I guess the, the biggest difference that I noticed was that um, a lot of first time consumers or the can of curious, they're not really interested in physically smoking. You know, I'm a consumer. I love, I love to consume that way. I love a, a nice joint every now and then, but most people, especially with COVID, they're not interested in the smoke. So then you have to think about your options. Well, what do we have? an environment sometimes it take 20 30 40 minutes to kick in so if you're on a wait at the front door how are you making sure that that edible kicks in quick enough to, for this person to enjoy that while they're actually seated in your yeah. consumption lounge and the biggest uh the the biggest change for us has been cannabis beverages you know, the, the time frame is now onset times are 10 minutes as opposed to 30 minutes. Uh, they're dosed in a way that you can start off with a can, which is, 
you know, two milligrams of THC, or you can go for like a Keef Cola that's a hundred milligrams. And so within that, you know, um, range alone, you're kind of marketing to anybody and everybody. Uh, even, you know, my, my boyfriend's parents came into the cannabis cafe to visit me and got so excited to try a can that four milligrams of CBD really sticks out to people. And maybe even to some people, it's more of a placebo effect where they think, oh, I'm consuming CBD, not really cannabis. And having those kind of products has significantly helped consumption lounges, you know, grow into an approachable environment. I'm really, really excited to work with each cannabis beverage to create specific training programs around those in particular, just like a familiar bar setting. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind is Vivint Oak. They're a uh, cannabis wine. And I really want to make sure that when wine is sold, whether it's alcoholic or cannabis, that a proper wine presentation is in place. You know, somebody knows how many glasses to bring to the table. Somebody knows, you know, how to pour correctly. And that's hospitality 101. And just because it's a new substance doesn't mean that we need to reinvent the wheel. Those kinds of things still need to be implemented. And so that's kind of where I built a really solid relationship with cannabis beverages to not only showcase them in an environment, but kind of reduce like, trade show every bar setting where they all exist just like a normal bar and people can kind of pick and choose based on their tolerance interesting there's like three or four different directions i want to go here but you bring up a (laughs) a, a valid point that i had never even thought of right so you talk about when you want to make sure when wine's being sold whether alcohol or cannabis that it's being presented properly right and going back to my earlier point is that's been established already people know how to present wine so when you're presenting something like flour or pre-rolls or something traditional i imagine like even though it was the lowell cafe they're not slapping one of those beautiful little multi-packs down on the table and saying here have at it you know how do you how did you guys work to do proper presentations of devices and loose flour and and pre-rolls like how does that come to the table because there is no standard for that right a lot of the big question for operators is how do you make money in a consumption lounge and i do believe that bong rentals and glass rentals are really big upsell because if you don't know how to roll your own joints it's easy and it's convenient Uh, on the other hand i very very actively tell um, cannabis brands make some more pre-roll packs pre-roll packs flew off the shelf it's so convenient and really really worked well in lowell cafe i personally see that kind of translating you know into all cannabis cafes because nobody wants to share joints anymore and so everybody kind of gets their own and you can kind of you know um put it out keep it right in front of you maybe spark it up again later in terms of actual service that's kind of one of my near and dear tasks right now is building those steps of service around presenting cannabis to a table. There is a lot of weird laws right now about having someone roll it for you, especially if it's an employee. If you touch cannabis, you're legally not allowed to touch food and vice versa. So you have to make sure that the people on your team are educated and and know those kind of compliance standards, you know, so that it doesn't get a little confusing with servers who are technically selling cannabis and food, but not allowed to control or handle them. That's really interesting. That's something I definitely did not know. And now looking back, 
why I saw a lot of pictures of rolling machines uh, at the cafe, which there's no shame in that. I mean, I can right. roll, but a machine sometimes helps you out for sure. Uh, I use a machine you... every time, unfortunately. I, I hate to admit it, but I do. Oh, I, I, I can roll. I have a good friend who taught me how to do it, but you're right. The machines are just so easy. Um, right. Were you there? And, and this is just more of a personal question because I love them. Were you there when the Stern yeah. Show recorded at the Lowell Cafe? I was not. Um, oh. There, there were some, there were some, um, you know, uncertainties about the first media that we have come in. What does this look like? Who's the right server to put on the job? You know, who really represents this space? And um, it just happened to be one of my days off. But I actually got to work Jeffrey Star's birthday party, which was a oh, way nice. bigger deal for me. Um, so it was kind of a give and take. And, and my business partner currently, um, who is in Oakland right now, helping build the next consumption lounge. It's funny, she would kind of as floor managers, right, and always kind of assessing the, the audience, she was always focused on the cannabis people. And I was kind of trying to focus more on the celebrities and, you know, the um, basketball players and people that came in that I was already familiar with. So we had kind of you know, our own avenue. And she was kind of mo the person that was focused on the cannabis media and all of that. But um, cool. I know I wish I was there, but I did get to see Jeffree Star, which made up for it. Well, that is cool. I mean, obviously you see me sitting here with a microphone in front of my face, a direct steal, uh, something I stole directly from Howard Stern to block out my <laughs> face just because. But, you know, that was a great episode and that made me want to go even more. But yeah. one of the main reasons that I reached out to you and I was really excited to talk to you is, is the party you threw for yourself. Right. And you posted on, you know, you posted on Instagram and you had a party that was and I don't want to say a party you threw for yourself. It was your birthday party. You had people over. That sounds horrible. Like, hey, let's just celebrate me for no reason. No. <laughs> um, but you had a non-alcoholic, all cannabis bar. And I thought I that was incredible because to me. A lot of that is going to be the future, right? And you mentioned right. Can, right? We've had um, we've had them on the show before. Great product. He's they've they've been on uh, they've been on panels of ours for C Lab. I love those guys. I can't wait to try the product. I love all the pink swag that they have. Um, mm -hmm. But the extent of my knowledge with drinks ends there. And you had like it looked just like a regular catering bar. You had all the left side. There was like five, six different cans and bottles. How yeah. do you you know how how is that received? You know, because I imagine that there was a lot of traditional cannabis users in that group. Were, were they happy? Were they excited? Or did some people miss out on just the traditional methods? So um, when, we, when we actually decided to do a, you know, even though it was for my birthday, we kept saying, as a company, we need more marketing. We need more resources. It's not like I can go to a public sector. comfort of my backyard and make it look like a restaurant as much as we possibly can. The, the greatest thing about it, I guess, was that half of the people that I invited were hospitality people who don't consume cannabis whatsoever. And then the other half were my good friends from the cannabis cafe who are avid consumers. And I really got to walk around and, and ask everybody, what are you consuming? How much are you consuming? How do you feel? You know, just basically kind of getting a, I guess you could call it even a focus group for cannabis beverages. We really wanted to figure out what was your immediate attraction? What was the beverage that you went to first or that called to you? 
and come about, it really came about that everybody had completely different behavior when it came to what they chose to consume. Um, for me and a lot of those avid consumers, we are always smoking and consuming, but never that much, um, like we're never ingesting it in that way. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, I had only about 10 milligrams in beverages for the whole night. And I had to take my heels off at one point because I felt like my legs were like shaking. I could barely stand up, but it was because I was also smoking. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to determine if someone's coming to a consumption lounge, are they doing both? Most likely, yes, because you want to take pictures of yourself smoking. You know, that's, that's part of going to the lounge. So I really kind of just wanted to gauge that at first. And um, my business partner, Maha, she joined my company about six months ago. She is the founder of Canna Club at 22 universities. Uh, they have 5,000 students that are in their chapter. And they're really kind of focusing on you know, testing and labs and education. And so we saw this as kind of an extension of that as well to, like I said, I guess, host focus groups for cannabis beverages. Let's know the effects more. Like let's personally consume them. Let's uh, create an approachable environment with no alcohol, you know, full bar, no alcohol, and then have a bartender, bud tender, I guess you could say, explaining each beverage to the guests you know, kind of just approachable environment like you would be used to anywhere else. And um, that was mainly to a establish relationships with brands to let them know this is the, the image that we want moving forward. We want this unity. You know, when you go to a bar, you don't just see a bunch of Jameson. You see Jameson along with 50 other beverages. And we wanted to offer that same environment. Uh, and then also kind of explain to people and show people either they're consumers or non-consumers that you can still have fun without alcohol. You don't need alcohol in a setting for people to talk and chat and have a great time and just chill out. And I had five people maybe reach out to me and say, please do more of that. I had so much fun. You know, I woke up fresh and ready to go today. And, and I just like really appreciate this new, you know, kind of environment that was created. And so I'm hoping to do more of that in the future and encourage event planners to, like I mentioned, get away from the booths, you know, yeah. and the trade show style and really just encompass every single brand that exists and place them alongside each other to complement each other and not, you know, looked as much of competition because a 10 milligram drink and a two milligram drink do not compete with each other. They need to live alongside each other. I couldn't agree more. And that, that sounds absolutely awesome. I don't, I think your voice is lagging a little bit there. Okay. We're good. I got you back. <laughs> I was afraid that I cut you off for a second. So um, no, but you're hundred percent right. A, a two milligram drink does not compete with a 10 milligram drink, which does not compete with a hundred milligram drink. There is, you know, a different lane for everybody there. And that makes me really happy to hear how excited everybody was, right? Because I would love to see more of that. You know, unfortunately, we live down here in Florida. Recreational may not be on the ballot till 2022. So I'd love to see you get your group down here and do some stuff, but it's going to be a very long time. I'll tell you what, you know, I, I hope we stay in touch because next time I get out West, I would love to check out one of these events and see yes. it firsthand. To me, that this is absolutely the future of where our industry needs to go. And I'm glad that, that I got to meet the person who's helping make that happen. So, you know, oh, typically you. at this point, 
we get towards the end of the interview and I want to ask you what you're excited about for the future, but you're not one of these people that have been working on the cannabis industry as it is. You're working, you're, you're moving the battleship and you're changing for the better, but still on that note, what are the type of things, you know, you're in California in one of the most mature markets you're working mm-hmm. out in Michigan, which is a little bit more immature. It's up and coming. You know, what are some of the things that you see firsthand that are exciting you? What are some of the products that you see are exciting you? Give us some hope for the future. Yeah, well, I guess it, it, it's important to note that my parents live in Michigan. So I'm in Michigan pretty often going back there. And I, the first thing I noticed that blew my mind was that they don't have a single beverage in their market. So as consumer, like, let's say my grandma, for instance, who I've slowly been introducing to cannabis, she doesn't really have any options. She's got a hundred milligram fudge, you know, that she could eat. That was so delicious. I can understand why people eat too much of it. Uh, Or there's flour or there's concentrates. And I kept looking at this market as I was going through these dispensaries and saying, like, it's such a shame that they're missing such a such a wide target demographic of consumers because there's nothing for them. So I am ecstatic about helping beverages come to market in the Michigan area. And I think it will be such a game changer and it will help the Midwest kind of adapt to new forms of cannabis consumption. And I really just think that that is going to be the biggest game changer in Michigan alone. Uh, in California, I'm really excited about the maturity of the West Hollywood consumption lounge market. When we have four or five, six of them coming available, I'm really excited to just bring in all these multi-state operators or maybe just people from different markets and say like, look what we've done here you know, look what you can do in your city too. Let's talk about bringing something like this to you because, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And when you talk about a consumption lounge, sometimes people think it's going to be like a speakeasy or, you know, in the basement of someone's house. And it, that couldn't be farther from the truth. It's actually going to be very modern and upscale and, and trendy so that we can normalize and I guess mainstream the, the lounge experiment experience as much as we possibly can. No. And, and, and I'm very excited for that. I mean, just, you know, giving last Saturday night as an example, it was the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones fight. And of course, what did I do? I went to a buddy's house. We rolled up a few joints and we consumed them there because we can't do that anywhere else. You can't go to a sports exactly. bar and do that. So the day that I'm able to enjoy sports and, and enjoy cannabis together is going to be a very exciting day. And, and I think you're going to be the person to make that happen. And actually, yeah. um, exciting enough in Michigan, a brand that I've discovered through your social media, Flourish, they have a drink enhancer that goes into drinks. And then there's yes. another one coming out called Tink that has not launched yet. Okay. So I can I've also definitely seen make a brand called Happy. H-A-P-B-I. I've been reading about them. It doesn't look like they're marketed yet. They're not on the market, but they're working on it. Um, And something else I would really love to do is help those multi-state operator beverage companies, you know, like Can or Rebel Coast or Vivenope actually come into these, these new markets as well and kind of, you know, bring a really trusted, low dose mainstream product to the market. I think Can is the perfect multi-state operator because they've, you know, really kind of found a niche for themselves for those Canna curious people. And I tell everybody about Can, you know, just because I yeah. love their their products so much. So I really think that that's going to change a lot of things in the Midwest. 
Yeah, I almost bought one of their pink sweaters. I'm just holding out till Jake sends me one so I don't have to. But <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have to cave and get one. But uh, Sarah, thank you very much for doing this show. It, it was great talking to you Tuesday. It was great talking to you today. I can't wait six months, a year from now to have you back on and hear about the success that you guys are having and all the great consumption lounges going on. Before we let you go, any, any plugs that you want to give, social media, websites, anything else, just let us know. Yeah, hi, uh, at Hispitality uh, on all platforms. Um, Miss Sarah Stu, S-A-R-A is my Instagram handle. Uh, I really, really want to thank you for allowing me to come on this show. You know, a lot of these lounges also have liquor licenses. So I think maybe our next conversation will have to do with what happened, you know, I think that we're going to start seeing these two substances in, in the same environment. And so, you know, we don't necessarily know what that looks like yet, but that's definitely probably going to have to be our next conversation. Sounds great. Well, hopefully the world will get back to normal. We can do this together out in California and do it in person. Yes. And I can't wait until that happens. I wish you the best of luck and thank you again. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody at home. This has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind. Of course, if you missed this episode and you're just catching the end of it now, check us out in about a week. It's going to be on our YouTube at youtube.com slash Elevate Your Grind. Of course, we've got about 96, 97-ish episodes on there as well, too. Some great executives in the space, some great up-and-comers just like Sarah. So check those out. And folks, we are done for the week. We'll be live again next week, starting on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, a little bit later than we typically are for the Emerge Conference with Charles Warner. Again, this has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind, and we are out.